How you doing guys? We're back after another huge absence, which is the way of the world these days with me. But uh, on the air here with me now is my good friend Darren Kenna, the strength and conditioning coach for Hockey Ireland senior woman team, among other things like working in the Irish Strength Institute. Darren, how are you doing? Uh, finally getting you on the line and completely my fault for keep uh, missing you and stuff on Facebook and stuff like that. No, no, not at all, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's great uh, to catch up and great to be on a podcast that I've spent so many of my own hours listening to. Now I'm on the other end. Very good. <laughs> so at least I know someone's listening. That's good. There you That's, go. good. Yeah. That's good to hear. So straight into it, Darren. So basically, I met you at that uh, conference Ed Slattery hosted. That's right, yeah. That, that's right. And you'd just come back from Australia. Do you want to just give the listeners a background into your good self and just explain your journey because i always find this very interesting for our listeners yeah uh, i'll try and keep it as as brief as i can because even with that i'll probably get carried away it tends to be my nature um in when it comes to where i am now i kind of got into it um through working as a i was working full-time as a rugby coach um a community development officer with Lancer rugby um Basically, what that entailed was going around to developing skills and trying to promote the game of rugby. So there's no point like going into Clongos, Black Rocks, Belvedere, trying to promote rugby. Rugby's already good there. We were going into national skills, uh, secondary skills, community colleges, trying to get rugby up off the ground. Or if they had kind of just started teams, trying to help out and develop the teachers that were coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, as a, I, I played rugby myself, and um, I probably wasn't the most skillful, but I was always one of the hardest working I'd like to think mm-hmm. um, so I always kind of had an aptitude for, for S&C and physical preparation mm-hmm. um, through that then I, I got the opportunity to do the IRFU uh, certified conditioning coach course which was fantastic um, it's funny I look back at it now and uh, well, maybe 2010 when I did that some of the people that I met in this course uh, Ed Slattery who you just mentioned being one mm-hmm. um, and, and really doing great things uh, still in the in the industry but that kind of ignited I suppose my passion to say geez I think I might like this every bit as much as the rugby coaching if not more um, and I suppose I used my position um, working with that many teams and that many youths to kind of apply the knowledge that I learned yeah. um, in S&C yeah. um, which was great I was very lucky to have that vehicle to be able to, to implement things straight away I was still playing at the time um along with, with another good friend of mine, John McCall. Uh, we tried to do bits and pieces with our club team. Um, and you know yourself, you would have been the same. Anywhere that you get half an opportunity to coach or implement something, trying to do it. Now, when I look back at some of the programs I was, I was doing back then and some yeah. of the exercise selection and stuff, it was absolutely horrendous. And I remember I used to like I used yeah. to lift balls to the wall the day before a game and then wondering why I feel like shite the, the morning of a game, yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah. um, it's all part and parcel. You know, you have to to make them mistakes to get to where you are now. Yeah. Um, I suppose then I moved to Australia in May of 2013. Mm-hmm. And I was really at a, a crossroads then, you know, do I really go down the rugby coaching pathway uh, in terms of looking for work over there or do I look more uh, for the physical preparation and the things? Um, mm-hmm. And just, I think, naturally, the, the culture over there is just sport mad. So opportunities are endless. Uh, if you're willing to put the work in. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of what happened was I, I took a job in a commercial gym uh, just to, to pay rent and, and get myself off the ground. And then from there, 
spent every second of my downtime uh, trying to shadow other coaches from other clubs, however big, however small, um, and just find my feet that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through that came an opportunity um, with the Sydney Swans, uh, their academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I'm also uh, I qualified as a neuromuscular physical therapist quite some time ago through the NTC. I'm pretty sure you're the same yourself. Yeah, something different, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> similar, similar enough, similar, same, same, but different. Uh, so yeah, I, I got an opportunity to to do some strength conditioning coach with the Sydney Swans Academy, um, largely thanks to uh, uh, who's a guy who's now my good friend uh, Steve Kelly, who's assistant with the senior team over there, but he, he oversees the academy, right? Um, and then again, I, I kind of got chatting to senior staff in there, uh, head physios and stuff, and and. Uh, when they kind of found out about my, my physical therapy training and stuff they said oh, do you want to do some some massage yeah. uh, some soft tissue work with the senior team and uh, it's just a case of being being in the right place at the right time but also uh, making the most of, of opportunities um, and that kind of I suppose that put the rugby coaching off to the side then because uh, I was pretty flat out with the two of them yeah. um, likewise then I, I kept shadowing and, and getting busy wherever I could I wasn't getting paid uh, initially but just trying to get busy and trying to get coaching hours up outside of working with the gym um, another friend of mine Shane O'Farrelly he was coaching at a, a high school in, in Australia went yeah. down shadowed him helped him for a couple of sessions he was looking after uh, rehab in a, in a very sports orientated high school that had a big emphasis on physical preparation um, and, and a bit like that that kind of turned into a part time role then into a full time paid role um, so I was able to quit the gym work that I'd done, mm-hmm. and before I knew it, I kind of was looking around me, going, "Holy shit, I'm I'm now like a full time strength and conditioning coach, stroke therapist." But it was one of those things where I had my head down, just trying to trying to be as productive as I could. Yeah, that I kind of had to stop a couple of weeks later and realise, "Oh, I'm actually doing this full time now without really." It wasn't like all of a sudden one day you're doing nothing and then next day you're in a full time role. It just kind of gradually developed. Uh, from from a couple of different small roles into develop them them into bigger ones. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, then a, a, an opportunity uh, through misfortune of a colleague, um, I had the the opportunity then to work uh, as a full time as or as a, a therapist on match day weekends with the uh, Sydney Swans reserve team. Mm-hmm. So that was great. That meant I was working all week uh, as an SNC coach and a therapist, and then at the weekends. Uh, I was off at, at games with a professional sports team looking after their soft tissue work and being a trainer on the sideline, which was fantastic, you know. Yeah. Um, got a lot of great experience there, worked with a lot of great coaches, a lot of great therapists, um, and a lot of great people. Culture culture there was fantastic. Um, from there then, uh, kind of got to a stage where I built up a lot of experience, but it was time for for me and my now fiance to make a decision where we're going to stay over there forever or are we going to look to come home um, yeah. and uh, for, for one reason or another we kind of decided to, to look to make a move back home but I was adamant that I didn't want the experience that I'd built up in Australia for the last three and a half years to kind of stand for nothing when I got back so I held out um, applying for different jobs here and there and seeing, seeing what was on offer to kind of make sure when I was moving back, I was moving back on my terms rather than moving back and, and scratching my head and having to, to start from zero all over again. Yeah. Which very nearly happened, but thankfully, um, yeah, I landed a role with the Irish women's hockey team 
in uh, July, and that's that's primarily kind of what brought me brought me back. Um, yeah, and it was nice just to be able to, like I said, uh, build on the experience that I got over there and come straight back into full time coaching here yeah. in Ireland. Um, and then the Irish Strength Institute allows me to do private work then to supplement that. So. Yeah. Um, a mixture from everyday clients. Um, I do therapy and S and C here, so it's good as well. I have a lot of rehab clients, um, so yeah. you can, you know what I mean. Your your session is not limited to either the gym floor or the treatment room. I can go in and out of both as much as I please. Um, and then we also have a couple of teams that uh, use the facilities here to to supplement their own training. So it's great. Every yeah. every hour of the day is different, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, really really enjoying being back now. Great. Well, some some uh, common threads there about like you know going to Australia and then coming back. It doesn't look bad in the CV whatsoever, does it? When you've Sydney Swans on it, and, yeah. And also, just we've talked off air, obviously a little bit, um, just the fact that you have, uh, say, soft tissue license, as the Americans would call it, has definitely helped. Um, because in Ireland, for example, there just isn't enough business to just be Mister S and C and do nothing else. Would you agree? Like, I think you have to have a little bit of a general. Um, you have to be able to do a couple of things to pay the bills. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's one. It's a constant battle that I have myself um, between trying to have a, a big knowledge base, but not trying. You don't want to be that kind of uh, jack of all trades either, expert in none. Um, so for me, a big, a big thing is like I love uh, love nutrition and stuff like. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always kind of like, oh, will I do? Will I do a precision nutrition, sir? Or will I do this or that? Uh, IWSN or something? And I'm kind of like, I, I just say to myself every now and then, I'm like, Darren, you still have a lot to learn when it comes to mm-hmm. S and C and therapy. So why don't you really, uh, you know, keep your head down, keep mastering that. You probably know enough. Um, mm-hmm in terms of nutrition to get by with, with a lot of your everyday clients and after that you've plenty of experts that you can refer them on to yeah. um so again it's getting that it, it's trying to have a good broad base but getting a balance between you don't want to overreach either um i definitely attribute my uh soft tissue skills to benefit my snc and likewise my knowledge of snc has hugely benefited my my soft tissue skills yeah. i think particularly athletes um you get a lot more out of them as well when they know that you kind of mm-hmm. have both ends of it covered. Yeah. Um, they'll, they, you, you can back up your opinions a little bit more, be it when you're in the treatment room or likewise on the gym floor. Yeah. Uh, and it, it definitely helps get a little bit more buy-in. They don't just see you as a meathead, even though some people will. Um, and likewise, as a, as a therapist, they go, holy shit, he, yeah. he knows his stuff. It obviously works yeah. um, when they see what else you do outside of the treatment room, you know. It's interesting because I remember doing my soft tissue license and uh, I think I was after a red speed trap with Charlie Francis. Excellent, yeah. And he was basically saying he was like, because he had no budget, he was having to give rubs mm. 24-7 more or less and how important it was to his sprinters. And I went, well, uh, the reality of my situation is, you know, I could be in, say, I don't know, somewhere in the Midlands, let's say that. Yeah. And there mightn't be a good soft tissue therapist anywhere near you if, if you didn't book them in miles in advance and stuff so that's why i said i went off and do it and like you say i found it very beneficial just so i know uh i'm actually licensed to do it yeah and even though i was trained in and uh you know you do something like dig into their tfl and then they can side lunge better and they just think you're a genius you know that sort of way so it's absolutely very, yeah it's something um, i do recommend people 
S&C coaches to do if they have the time. Uh, I think it's beneficial and it does give you that bit of a... And listen, you know, you're, you're coaching, which we'll go into. Sometimes in, say, in a training camp, it's all hands and pump when it comes to soft tissue work, isn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned Charlie Francis, but, um, you know, sometimes as a coach, you have a moment where you have your own philosophy, but you're kind of like, hmm... This is, this is my philosophy and this is my belief and this is why I believe it. But every now and then it's nice to have it either challenged or else validated by another practitioner. And mm-hmm. um, Somebody had sent me a link to a, a, a Charlie Francis video that came up on Facebook and it looked like somebody had recorded it on their phone off an old VHS. But uh, <laughs> it was Charlie treating one of his athletes and it was actually a, a Charlie Francis seminar from God knows when. But he was he was he was doing some massage on one of his athletes and he was saying, For me, I spend so many hours on the track with them. I demand so much of their bodies, it's imperative that I know how their body actually feels and what's going on with the tissue because I'm I'm demanding so much of it on the track. Mm-hmm. I need to know how it's responding. The other really interesting thing he said, um <laughs> he, he kind of bastardized people that, you know, dig the elbows in or whatever i hope you're not one of them but anyway um he was saying you know how can i how can i appreciate the muscle tone and the tissue quality if i'm just lacing through his hamstring or his glute with my elbow you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and another really interesting thing because i kind of i built up that same philosophy myself to the detriment of uh my hands some days Mm -hmm. uh you, you come home and your hands will be shaking you nearly need to ice your wrists or whatever but and people do say that to you. They go, oh, your hands not get very tired. Would you not just needle the crap out of someone or whatever? I'm like, yeah, I'll needle you if you need needle you. But sometimes yeah. you just need that, that hands-on uh, work. And for me, uh, sticking an elbow on someone's not going to do it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. just that you, that you mentioned Charlie Francis, it just reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I must, we must dig that video out and we must... Uh... We must post it underneath the uh, notes of this podcast, you know. That'd yeah, be interesting, yeah, but, even though it's poor quality. But uh, I, well, like you were saying before about like in a, in a training camp environment, just to go back to that, yeah, you're one hundred percent right. And sometimes, um, sometimes athletes can get tight and bound up and stuff, and you could be pushing them in the gym, mm-hmm. but actually, what they might need on a particular day might just be like you say, they might need their TFL released or they might need their mm-hmm. their glute med released or their adductor or whatever. And if if you can if you can unlock that. Mm-hmm all of a sudden send them back in the squat rack and they're squatting a million times better mm-hmm. as a result of what you've just done. And whereas previously you would have just said, oh, just push through the session, push through the session, push through the session. Mm-hmm. But actually by taking them out for a couple of sets and improving their movement quality, you've just made them a much more efficient athlete mm-hmm. uh, in, in the space of a couple of minutes. So it's a great tool to have. Yeah, uh, it, it is. And like even like a, a bad massage where someone who isn't like, you know, battering the athletes is probably still better than nothing, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, like uh, no one ever jumps off a bed and now again i premise this with someone that you didn't pummel them like you know you didn't go yeah, and, uh, yeah. jump off a, a wardrobe with your elbow but uh, <laughs> but, uh I, I, you'll always find that they just feel better you know uh, now yeah. Yeah, a bad massage an athlete might come away and go yeah it could have been better but they're even it scratched the itch for them and listen it's been around what since the greeks or probably before that or you know, if you look at it, it's like you've a sore shoulder, you start rubbing it yourself. It's just kind of makes yeah, sense, you know. It's human nature, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And you'll yeah. always have uh, 
you'll always have those people, arseholes I call them, um, who will tend what? to like, what? oh, well, you know, <laughs> the research on, on the benefits of massage, it's not really like blah, blah, blah. Listen, you can find research to support whatever argument you want to make these days. It's the same with the ice baths theory, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can find research to support ice baths, you can find research against ice baths. But how about you jump in an ice bath, see how you feel after it, and make, a, make an analysis that way, or ask all your athletes how do they feel after them. I know I'm... Uh, 99 times out of 100, you know, yeah. a lot of people feel better. Um, it's interesting because I just got those recovery boots, a yeah, set of them yeah. just to see to try them out. And I tried them out, my athletes, and the first five people who used them went, Coach, I could play a match for you now. I feel yeah. absolutely amazing. And then the sixth person went, Yeah, they're grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that same sixth person got them again on the rotation and went, Actually, now I really feel the benefit of them. And maybe it's psychosomatic, maybe it's not, I don't know. But I look at that and I go, it's staying because I got a positive result. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, they're, they're massive and they, um, I know they've been big in, in basketball for years because of the demands of the game right. over there in the NBA. But um, in the Swans, yeah, ever since I was there, they've, they've used them. And uh, around the club, they used to just have them, they'd have maybe 10 pairs of them lined up uh, and a load of beanbags and players that just come, they might have half an hour's downtime, they might have an hour's right. downtime. They might even come in on their day off yeah. and they literally just uh, sit them on. They might even go for a nap, but they have the, the boots on and uh, it all aids. And then as well, straight after games, they'd get in them. When we're on the road, they'd take maybe five, six pairs with them. Uh, some players like to get them on straight away after a game for 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, some players get them on straight away the next morning. But again, it's another, another tool in the toolbox. And I think... Um, well, you, it, know, it, you it, know, some players that will preference certain methods and some players that preference others, and it's just about giving them the tools yeah. to, to figure out what's going to work best for them. Well, yeah, and again, it depends on it. All, I, we always say this, I must bore people to death with this, but it all depends on your logistics. I mean, uh, if I was to do ice baths where I train awfully, for example, it just it should be a pain in the face. Mm. And by the fourth person jumping in the ice bath, it'd be way too warm anyway. Yeah, and then yeah. it's like, oh, just get more ice. And I'm like, you know what? I'm enough to worry about without, yeah. you know, S&C and ice man. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, unless we have, um, unless we have an actual, you know, one of them fancy, you know, piped ice machine things uh, you see around the place, you know, the cryo, whatever they're called. I don't even know yeah. what they're called these days. It's just not going to happen. And uh, like that, you can have your, you can have your philosophies and stuff on what you believe is right but then you've also got to take it aside and go yeah I think that's the best thing to do but is that what's best for this team and this group of players at this particular time in this particular location Yeah, and it's not always you know yeah. um, like I mean if you've a, if you've a late night game you're, you're finishing playing late it's pissing rain outside um, and then you have to travel to go home you know what I mean mm-hmm. are the players going to benefit more from getting a hot shower and getting the hell out of there, getting home, getting decent food and getting sleep, or are they going to be, you know, you're, a lot of times you're going to cause more stress yeah. if you're taking them out of the wind and hail into freezing cold ice baths, yeah. standing over them for whatever it is, six, eight minutes, whatever you choose, with a, with a bloody stopwatch saying, no, oh, you've another two minutes, Johnny, you know, that's <laughs> just create more stress for them. Like, yeah, let yeah, them yeah. off, let them sleep better, they'll recover better, you know. Yeah. You get more out of them the next time around. It's, uh, we talked about this in this podcast with teams, especially in Ireland, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. And it's like, I always constantly ask myself that. And sometimes I probably get it wrong. And like, there's been a few things where, um, where, uh, you know, I might've 
reflected and when actually I should have done it. But generally speaking, your instincts there are correct. Like, you know, and the reality of the situation is unless you're with the top, top teams in Ireland, you have to do stuff that's logistically going to make you, you know, you're able to do it. Like, you know, if it's, and I, like I laugh, I go to these, I must be in, must have been in about a thousand GA clubs now. And you always see mortar tubs all around the place. And it's like you just know this particular GA club has an attendance rate of training at 65, 70% if they're lucky. And you're looking at that and you go on ice bats, you go, hmm, okay. And you, you just go, like, you know, <laughs> it's. You like, have bigger fish to fry than that, yeah. Yeah, you know, buy dumbbells, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, don't buy mortar tubs, buy dumbbells, you know. But anyway, uh, that's kind of digressing. We're ranting. <laughs> I like it. So now, Darren, uh, you're with the hockey ireland which is an exciting project and i know very little about hockey i'll be honest with you uh the only stuff i know about hockey is i know their t-spines and hip flexors are mucked up and all this sort of stuff and uh i know it's like a subculture in ireland where it's religion would that be a fair comment yeah absolutely yeah and it was a bit like you say uh it's my first time working in hockey i hadn't worked in hockey previously um and i hadn't i'd never played hockey but it's it's huge in Ireland and like you say it's almost like a, a subculture you don't realise how big it is until you actually get into it yeah um, and you're also correct on the hip flexors and T-spines which is why we spend uh, a lot of time trying to trying to correct that mm-hmm. and, and uh, I wouldn't say sacrifice but prioritise um, that area of our programme at mm-hmm. the at, at the behest of others yeah um, you know, I, I want I want the girls to to move as well as they can. Yeah. Um. It doesn't matter how strong they are if their if their hip flexors are all wound up and if their T spines are like a rock. Yeah. Uh. It's it's all about getting them to move better and having that transfer onto the field. Yeah. And another thing I saw was uh again I know nothing about hockey so it's probably going to shine through is that uh, I watched it in the Olympics because it was actually quite exciting. Yeah. And um, that the English team just looked fabulously conditioned. Uh, yeah. and and really looked like S&C was a staple of their diet and I do know also that the the Irish teams are catching up at a rate of knots and we're like what what's our world ranking now in 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 in, so in, in hockey we now? were at we were at 16 um in right. the the ladies team were at 16 the men's team were I want to say maybe eight I think they're they're definitely inside the top 12 well wow. um and we with the women's team we just went to our kind of first world cup qualifier in Kuala Lumpur there in January uh, which we won um, so that was that was really good we, we played against a couple of lower ranked teams and we played against Italy who were ranked 15th so the fact that we won that is going to pump us up a little bit in the rankings now um, yeah. which is nice and keep moving that upward direction and hopefully qualify for the world cup which is in London next year uh, you mentioned the the Great Britain hockey team. Yeah, they're they're fabulously conditioned. Uh, yeah. I guess Ben Rosenblatt looks after them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a pretty switched on guy. Mm-hmm. It's funny in hockey because you'll have certain uh, certain countries where it's it's you've professional teams uh, here in Ireland. It's obviously amateur, and then likewise GB, like all the GB hockey team, they're full time athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, they they obviously have huge funding when it comes to yeah. Olympic sports in the UK, but. Uh, I wouldn't use that as an excuse at all. Our girls train really, really hard. They're uh, fabulously committed. Um, I didn't really know what to expect when I started with them. Um, To be honest with you, I couldn't have inherited a a greater bunch of girls. uh, Credit to 
to the girls themselves, credit to the association. Um, their former SNC coach, uh, George Petrakis, who's over at Glasgow Warriors now. Um, it, you know what I mean? When you, when you come into a team that has good standards, good culture, good players, good talent, it, it makes your job an awful lot easier, you know. Yeah, but a harder at the same time as well. So well, it's that's it. There's you. more expected of it, you know. When, <laughs> yeah. when you have to, when you're yeah. inheriting them at that level, and you're being asked to take it up a gear. Um, yeah, but I have to say the girls are are great. You know, we train early mornings um, during the week, uh, and then they've got late night training, hockey commitments. But they uh, every time I throw at them, they. Mop they might up. have a bit of a whinge or moan at times, but they'll always get the job done and they'll always give you 100%. And as an SNC coach, you can't ask any more yeah. than that. And just logistically with that, uh, and again, I assume there's parts of the North, Northern Ireland, South Dublin, uh, bits of Cork. Is that place the hotbeds of hockey in Ireland? Yeah, yeah you're, you're spot on there. It would be. So we kind of have our girls split. Um, and like you said, they primarily across uh, Leinster, Ulster, and Munster. So I've two other guys that uh, look right. after the SNC in right. the two other regions primarily because right. I can't be in three places at the one time right. so uh, Darren Collins looks after the Cork based girls mm-hmm. uh, and Colin Shields looks after the Belfast based girls and without the two of those guys uh, my job would be an awful lot harder and I'd probably involve clocking up an awful lot more miles on the clock yeah. but no they, they do a fantastic job uh, with the girls north and south and then I look after the girls uh, who are based here in Dublin and then every Sunday we'll come together for national team training in Dublin, um, and again I'll look after that. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a demanding schedule on the girls and involves a lot of travel, but yeah, uh, we make it work. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, <clears throat> just programming wise, um, with hockey players, say over a I don't know a soccer team or a GA team or a rugby team, what would be the key differences uh, for you? So for me. I just with, with any team that I, that I look at, what I want to do is look at them first off and say, and this kind of comes from the uh, the majority of my work in the past being with uh, youth teams or academy based teams. I want to look at them and go, okay, is Dave Hare the best athlete he can be? And if I say, yeah, he's the best athlete he can be, then I say, okay, is he the best athlete hockey wise he can be? Um, and a lot of the times you stop after the first question and go, no, they're not the best athlete they can be. So my kind of overriding philosophy is make them the best athlete they can be. And then after that, you can kind of start to tailor towards the sport. But if you're trying to tailor towards the sport too soon, there's a lot you're missing. Yeah. Love. First off, you know. Yeah. Uh, with that said, um, a lot of what I do is, yeah, you're trying to make the girls bigger, faster, stronger. But you're, like you correctly pointed out you're trying to uh, compensate for the movement deficiencies or the, the areas of weakness that might need special attention so I, I would say if, if, if you were to look at my program and you'd say okay he, he's got his piles work his power work his strength work his corrective exercises energy system development work and uh, in the corrective exercises maybe in the energy system work you can see where it's hockey specific but other than that, it's, you're just trying to build the best athletes you can, you know. Yeah. It's funny, I, I used to laugh in um, when I worked in high school SNC over in uh, Australia, you'd have various different coaches and they'd say, okay, uh, for such and such sports team, this is what we need, this is what we want. I'd say, all right, that's great. And then another coach from another sport would come along and say, this is what we need. 
and without them realize like obviously each each head coach has got their sport as their priority uh, yeah. I turn around and say you know you don't need to be doing the same program that the like the rugby boys don't necessarily need to be doing the same program that the New South Wales Waratahs on the 20s are doing or the basketballers don't necessarily need to be doing the same program that the Australian under 20s basketballers are playing because yeah. in case you didn't notice like these guys aren't under 20 they're 15 uh, you know every every team and every coach wants their players to be bigger faster stronger you know mm-hmm. Um Tick those boxes and then let's have a conversation. Yeah. The other thing then is, overall, I just want to make, if I can make everybody move better, you know, we're going to be in a better place. And like we were saying earlier on when we had uh, touched a little bit on therapy, uh, you can spend forever beating someone overhead trying to get stronger. But if something's locked up or inhibited, like more reps is not going to fix that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not always about more reps or more weight on the bar if you can get them moving better you're laughing I use the the front squat as an example you know mm-hmm. oh, I cross my arms over the bar at the front squat you know because I can't hold it in, in a front rack position well why can't you hold it in a front rack position oh I just don't know I just can't well is it maybe like that because your T-spine is jacked up or for whatever other reason yeah um, let's address that and see if you can get into the position then and nine times out of ten, you address it, they can get into any position. So with my athletes, I want them to be able to to do any lift I throw at them. Now, that said, you might be able to do a front squat, but a, a trap bar deadlift might suit you better. That's yeah. a whole different issue. Yeah. You, but I want them to have the ability to be able to do yeah. any movement I throw at them. The same with a, a, a box squat is a bit of a, a bugbear of mine in team sports because a lot of times mm-hmm. you'll see them, you'll see players... First of all, they're not doing a box squat. They're squatting to a box. There's a difference. And the other thing is, I'll say, oh, you know, like, are they box squatting because it's the best exercise for them? Yeah. Or and are they able to get into a full deep squat? Or, or what's the issue? And a lot of the times, if, if, if they have the movement quality to be able to do a full proper squat and you're choosing box squat, that's, that's fine. That's no problem at all. But a lot of times, they'll say, oh, no, because they can't squat full depth. If you can't f- squat to full depth, or there's, a, there's an impingement uh, or an imbalance going on. Don't be just lazy and shove a box under the under their arse. You know, fix that. Fix what's going on, and yeah. then pull them back into whatever exercise you desire. And if that happens to be the box squat, that's fine. Yeah, that's it's interesting. So basically, the can't rack position front squat. You're like approaching it as a sort of screen, nearly, and you go right. You can't do that. Let's fix why you can't do that. Yeah, no, um, it, it's a very common thing that happens with rugby players, particularly in season. Yeah, um, they might get a banged up AC joint or something. That's that's a whole different issue. I've no problem with it then. Yeah, well, we know when what they're you're coming saying, to you fresh yeah. at the start of the season. No, no, I can't do that. Well, why can't you do it? Oh, I've just never been able to. Of course, because you've never, no, you've never, or nobody that's ever coached you has ever tried to address that movement deficiency. So let's address it and see can you do it then. Yeah, and and likewise, nine times out of ten. You're able to, and a couple of, uh, it might take you, it might be, <laughs> I often compare it to a point of Guinness, you know, the first one or two isn't the most enjoyable, but after that they get more and more enjoyable, it's a bit like that, the first two are going to wreck your wrists and it's going to be a big stretch and it's going to feel uncomfortable, but then after that you get used to it, yeah. and if you can you, you can catch that position, then uh, then you're able to push press, then you're able to catch a clean, you know what I mean, so that's, for me, that's my, that's a fundamental position I want all my athletes to be able to get in. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to do the best I can to, to get them into that position. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but they do athletes. I remember doing it with a minor team I was coaching years ago, and I was like, "Listen, guys, you just have to go through this. You know, it's normal. You give mm. them all the stretches, and they just look at you like Bambi. You know, <laughs> they're like, but it hurts a little bit. You know, and you're like, yeah, but it's only stretch. It's not injury. You know, so it's it's constantly. And then once they get through that, you see them just nail in front squats or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Now I don't actually program front squats anymore, but I do yeah. remember. Uh, well, I kind of do if I'm teaching people the cleans, but um, I just remember that process, and uh, like it's interesting. I must review that myself. So it's an interesting point you've made there. Yeah, yeah, and it's just one of those things you want them to be able to do. Yeah, but whatever you throw at them, and yeah. then if you decide not to throw it at them, that's that's your own decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but at least at least they're able to. And I think, um, again, I was I was lucky when I was at the Swans, even though I was coaching, I was doing S and C with the academy I got to spend a lot of time uh, shadowing the, the senior SNCs uh, previously a guy called Damien Austin who's now moved to he's high performance manager at the Brisbane Lions um, but a guy called Mark Kilgannon who is an Irish guy um, yeah. fantastic coach uh, it, was, it was one of those things where you know when you meet a coach that's got your beliefs mm-hmm. but it's like your beliefs your coaching style on steroids like everything I want everything I did and wanted to do and believed he did it better. He knew it more in depth. He was a, he was a fantastic guy, and I learned an awful lot off him. Mm-hmm. But like that, he, uh, one of the biggest things I learned off him was his ability to um, explain to athletes: "This is why we're doing this. This is why we're going to make you a better player. This is why we're yeah. going to take all the weight off the bar and spend the next couple of weeks getting that front rack position because it's going to transfer here, here, and here." Yeah. And then then you start seeing the heads nodding, you know, and then all of a sudden, okay, let's start. And you've got buy-in straight away. Yeah. Uh, and I think oftentimes we can be a bit militant in that. Do that. Why am I doing that? Because I fucking said so. No. Just yeah. take a second to address why, and then you don't need to raise your voice one bit because you've got buy-in from everybody. You know. I I think that ties in. Like we, we talk about this when I coach an awfully. It's like frame it. We always yeah. say we say it to Niall, my my assistant coach, and the other fellas I have working for me. We say you've got to frame everything we do to these players and frame it quickly if you don't have the time to give a big spiel, you know. And then it ties into, you know, Nick Winkleman stuff about, you know, motivation science. And it's like when your athletes are more invested in it and they make certain choices regarding the program, the research shows that they're more motivated. So it's, it can be, that could have been just a throwaway statement, but I think it's actually very powerful and helps your coaching big time. I yeah, think, absolutely. Um, just framing it, and you're like, "Well, why are we crawling on the floor? Why are we lying on our back breathing?" And previously, I might have said, "Oh, because I read it in a book and kept it in my head." But if you actually frame it to your athletes, I've noticed in my coaching career a huge difference. You know, they just go, "Okay, that's fine." Yeah. Dave, Dave knows yeah, this yeah. stuff. Um, so that's it. It's one of those things where taking taking two minutes to explain it saves you like constant individual battles going around the gym floor when the, when the actual workout is taking place yeah. you know address it as a group yeah this is the why uh, this is the plan and and show them that like every every coach has a plan and has a vision of where they're going yeah and, and where they want to take it but a lot of the times i think we don't uh articulate that very well to our players and i think if they know yeah okay this is darren's making us do this because in a couple of weeks' time, he wants us to do this, and in a couple of weeks' time, we've got this tournament. I can see 
the lead in and I can see how he's planned that. Yeah. And you don't want it. Sometimes there's certain things you don't want to tell them, but I think when you can tell them a little bit and they know that you've got their better interest at heart, happy days, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's such a simple thing, but it doesn't get done. Like with skills coaches or head coaches, they just kind of do lots of drills. Mm-hmm. And they're brilliant drills. But like, for example, let's say you torture a team and they do an hour of tackling drills or whatever it may be. But if you frame that before and said, the reason we're doing this is because we're going to be this dogged, rugged, never say die team that we'll never concede a try or a goal or whatever your sport is. And this is why we're doing it. And I lay any money your athletes go, oh, I get it now, that's fine. But yeah, if you just yeah. throw that at them and hope for them to understand it in them- themselves, some will, but more won't. And uh, I think it's a very interesting and, and valid point. So, I think even in personal training, you could do that, you know. It's like, we're doing this because your hip flexors are gunged up, your hip flexors do this, and blah, blah, blah. could take you 20 seconds, but it could just get you so much more buy-in, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned personal training there. It's, uh, I, have to, I have to give that a quick mention for a second, because I was doing a, um, I did a guest lecture uh, to second-year sports science and health students in, in UCD a couple of months ago. And the, the guest lecturer was just talking about uh, coaching skills, um, and I asked it. I asked the, the room, like, okay, what brought you on this course? Fifty percent of them wanted to get into S and C, and fifty percent of them wanted to do physio. Didn't get the points, and were using that course as a feeder course to get into physio. Yeah. Next question I asked them was, okay, of the people that are wanting to be S and Cs, how many how many people have done their, their personal training qualification or? doing any sort of S&C or personal training, paid or otherwise, one person out of maybe 25. Yeah. Um, and then likewise, okay, out of, the, out of the physiotherapy hopefuls, how many of you have done a sports massage qualification? Zero. So you guys are you guys are all feeling yourselves, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like a, a personal training cert is pretty handy to knock over these days, as is a, a massage uh, yeah. qualification. Like you say, you're, you're, you're licensed to put your hands on bodies. Um, and if you're waiting until you get your, your big shiny degree to start, you know, you're feeling yourself. I, I was fortunate enough to be in a position of, of being a full-time uh, rugby coach. So I had lots of access to lots of teams. Um, so as soon as I got my first qualification, started doing a little bit of SSC there. You've got to use what's in front of you. So if using uh, personal training as a tool or massage therapy as a tool, to just get bodies in front of you, get used to dealing with people, improve your people skills, uh, your time management, your your program, and everything. Yeah. If you look at personal training as a lot of shit, that's all it's going to be. But if you look at personal training as okay, how can I get this person in the best shape possible? And that might be the best shape and lose a couple of kilos. That's fine. But then all of a sudden, when you get an athlete, it's not it's not your first time doing it, and it's not a big shock. Yeah, you know, I think too many people wait for opportunities to come rather than seek out opportunities themselves. Um, no, big time. But, Big time. When I when I worked um, when I worked in Australia, I was I was fortunate enough to to link up with another another um, prestigious Irish coach, Ty Canelli, and I did a lot of work with him cool. uh, with state level athletes. And one of the big things these are these are kids that are trying to get it to the next level, uh, trying to become professional players, and this is kind of the, the next step of. Before they go, similar, I suppose, to Leinster Academy or something like that. And the thing he used to say to them all the time, and it really stuck with me, was make the big time now. 
So I used to say, like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if this is your if this is your debut at AFL level, how are you going to prepare that week? You know, what are you going to be thinking about? What's your analysis going to be like? Are you going to seek advice from the coach? Just don't wait. If you wait until you're playing at senior level, professional level to do that, you're never going to make it. You've got to have, be that meticulous and you've got to have that mindset all the time. You know, even if you're going wanting to play a club game or whatever, um, make the big time now. And if you do that, I'm not saying it's a guarantee you'll get to the big time, but when you get to the big time, more chances, people talk about the flow state, you know, or, or just being in that, yeah. you know, not, not getting overawed by the occasion. And if you mentally prepare uh, and, and, like you say, put your best foot forward all the time, then when you do get into those situations, you're not going to shoot yourself. You're going to be comfortable and go, okay, yeah. I've done this before or I've, I've, I've replicated this before or I've simulated this before with, with other clients I have. Now I'm doing it for real. But at least I'm not crapping my pants, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, that phrase, that's brilliant. Make the big time now. I think it's Ron McKeefrey who says that to strength and conditioning coaches who are yeah. in a job that they might necessarily think is the Harlem Globetrotters or Man United, or and he says you, you make the sort of same quote. I don't know it exactly, but I think it's more or less make the big time where you are. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly it. Yeah, you know, and it's like um, why not? Like you know, <laughs> if you think about it, if you don't do that, you're kind of just saying you're kind of substandard, you know, and yeah. then um, and it's tough, you know, when you're hit with walls of inefficiency elsewhere and people who don't live up to your standards I suppose or whatever but you've got to just get through that and, and hustle and get it done I think it can stand to you though and there's a lot of like yeah. I know a lot of a lot of coaches in Ireland and yeah some, some clubs don't have the biggest budgets and don't have the best of facilities mm-hmm. and they might use that you know as, a, as something to complain about but I think something that definitely um, stands to us when we go to work abroad stuff like that is our, our work rate by and large we've got a uh, good, good work rate we get on well with people but also we can we can make shit happen you know what I mean yeah um, like we've all coached a team on the side of a pitch with no equipment or a couple of half ripped up cones or whatever and you just make the best of what you've got yeah if you spend all your time going oh you know well that club down the road they've got a great gym and such and such and such yeah. bollocks you know what I mean it's yeah. not what you have it's what you do with what you have yeah uh, and you get a good coach you're give me a good coach with no facilities over a crap coach with the best facilities any day of the week yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, you got to get really good at working around the logistics and figuring out what you need to do and just get it done i mean it is yeah. a t- like there is a limit to this like it, it isn't we sometimes you hit a wall but try, like you said i think about your at- your question you ask about your athletes are they the best athlete they could be? Well, you know, I always say, have I maximized the space I have? Could I, could I make this system one bit, little bit better, etc., etc.? And you always can. That's the kind of <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But as well, if you challenge yourself to be the best coach you can with limited resources, mm-hmm. then slowly as them resources start to drip in, you're laughing. Yeah, because yeah. you've always been putting your best foot forward. You've always been doing your best, and yeah. now it's just about adding a couple of little things. Yeah, to, to the system, you know. I do think that's so. Uh, it, you'd see the odd coach that's been spoilt, and they've come through, say maybe an academy system where there's the best of equipment and stuff, and then they go into the GAA, for example, and it's like, is this it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. Like, you know, I, I, I have people like I'm coaching counties now six years maybe, and if people really knew what it was like, they'd be shocked. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's 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 not what you think it would be for you know, obviously S and C coaches now, but like 
the lay public would think like even take off he's like but sure they've won all irelands before and you're like yeah they have didn't they yeah and you just keep quiet yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's the reality and you know because you see them on the sunday game let's say a county team and it's like the fancy jerseys and all this sort of thing but the reality behind the scenes is very different oh and absolutely that's, that's the challenge you know more often that's the case and as well i've walked into teams that have the best of facilities yeah and you walk into their gym session, you walk into their training session, you go, holy crap, these guys are rubbish. There's yeah. no culture, there's yeah. no work rate, fellas are off doing what they want, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they're, they're having a laugh and a joke, culture's all over the place and you're going, yeah. Jesus, from the outside this looks great and it's got all the hallmarks of what should be great. Yeah. Uh, and, and really it's a joke. And I think when you're when you're limited in your, in your resources like that, it really makes you hone in on your core values and your philosophies. Yeah. And then, you take your you take your team to a fancy facility or if you're traveling or you're touring or whatever, you go to a facility that's got all the bells and whistles and the tendency then is also for fellas to get really excited and go, Oh look, we've got this, we can we can do this today. It's like, well, hold on, we, we do we've got our fundamentals. Yeah. We'll do our fundamentals, maybe we'll do that, but just because it's there on the day yeah. doesn't mean we'll do it. You know what I mean? Or you go to a nice club that's got like you say, ice baths or whatever. Well, we don't do ice baths every other weekend of the year. So actually, it might be more detrimental to start doing it now just because we have them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've got an indoor warm up area. Well, we we've never done an indoor warm up in our lives, so why would we start doing one now just yeah. because there's one there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting point. Just going on there. Uh, I know we want to keep this uh, a little. We'll wrap it up soon enough, but I just wanted to talk to you about testing, um, yeah. because I'd imagine any time you take a national team, especially in, in Europe. They're obsessed with testing, and, and probably rightly so. Um, just, I don't know if you can give away trade secrets or whatever, but could you give us maybe a brief overview of what sort of testing you're looking at, or yeah, what so, you believe in, or anything, anything basically on the on the realm of testing, basically. My one of my uh, first weekends, I came back. Um, I, I, I kind of came. I started with them July last year and that's the way the season works the club season finishes in april um the national season kind of goes till the end of august start of september you get a couple of weeks break then and you're you're back into a, a, a training block and a couple of friendlies yeah so i kind of came in at the very tail end of the year and i think my the, the second weekend i came in i was told it was a testing weekend uh so it was like here's the schedule for the rest of the year we're doing a testing weekend. These are the tests we're doing. We need you to administer them. So I, yeah, that, that's fine. No problem at all. Yeah, so it wasn't really me setting up. It was just me kind of continuing on the existing program that had always been been set in place. Um, and we keep it pretty simple. Um, so they'll do a level two yo-yo. Um, they'll normally do a vertical and a vertical jump. And then uh, speed 5, 10, 20, 30, 40. Um, and it's, again, it's just because we have the the gates there yeah. that will we'll do it like that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do a 40, so we may as well set up the gates in the middle. Um, and that's traditionally kind of the, the basics of what was always done. Mm-hmm. So it was just to continue on from that. Um, I thought about changing the test from a yo-yo to something else. But then, again, all the, the kind of historical data had always been the yo-yo and stuff like that. So I said, you know what, for... Yeah, for changing the test to suit myself is not going to suit the players it's not going to suit the squad yeah. uh, so just keep it the same yeah. it didn't it didn't matter enough to me to change it 
to to be going against all the the, the scores we had from from previous times. You know, yeah. um, we're very lucky in that uh, we get assistance from um, the Institute of Sport and Eamon Flanagan out there. I'm, I'm, again, I'm really lucky that I can pick his brains right. anytime I need to. Yeah. Uh, and they they let us go out there and do testing days out there, and I think as well that's that's quite nice for the girls to get out to that environment because obviously it's it's one of those places that's got a bit of a, an aura about it. You see the the names that are signed on the wall, and uh, we've got a great kind of history of of uh, Olympic athletes and stuff like that. And it's sometimes like it can be the, the smallest thing like that, like the change of venue that kind of makes them pull the socks up a little bit. Yeah, um, and that sounds stupid, but it's it's true, you know. Um, but it's really good to have the backing of those guys. Uh, this year, we were able to second round of tests, and we did. We were able to get some. Um, we were able to use opto jump, uh, and actually place that along along the track. Uh, I hope Eamon doesn't mind me saying that. Um, and that that gives us some valuable data as well in terms of force going through the left foot versus the right foot and sprint. Now, where where it's going to be most valuable, I see, is in terms of rehab. Um, yeah. You've got their normative scores, and then touch wood, nobody gets a serious injury. But if somebody does get a serious injury, yeah, um, and you were to retest them and see where they're at and, and build them back up to where they were previously, yeah. Um, Class, and do you do any strength testing? Strength testing, yeah, I'll work them down to a three rep max. Um, yeah. I haven't done any velocity based stuff yet, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think they're at that level yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things with with the the trends you see in S and C. I think a lot of times you can get carried away with what other people are doing. You've got to be honest with yourself as a coach, yeah, with where you're at, and you've also got got to be honest with yourself and your athletes on where they're at. Yeah. So, do I think we need to be doing velocity based testing at the moment? Not really. Mm-hmm. Will we be doing it in time? Absolutely, we will. But for the moment. Um, what, what, three, three rep max strength testing is is perfect for what we need. I don't really like to work down to one rep max, particularly with uh, the more experienced lifters are. I think they, they can handle it a bit better. Um, but for me, a three rep max will give me the the numbers yeah. I need uh, with much reduced risk. And when you're coaching a national team and someone does a one rep max, say hex bar deadlift, or I don't know what your paradigm is, and they get injured. You're going to be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know? listen. At the end of the day, you know what I mean. Um, like, what does LeBron James squat? You know, nobody <laughs> gives nobody gives a crap what he squats. Yeah. Nobody gives a crap what he bench presses. As long as he's scoring, that's all that matters. And it's the same. Like, and uh, likewise, if if uh, if his strength coach turns around and goes, "Oh, guess what? You know, I put an extra twenty kilos on his hex bar deadlift. Who yeah. in the world is going to give a shit?" Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his job is to keep him healthy and get him out on the pitch every weekend. Yeah. And after that, we're laughing. You know, like, like what good is it if, if Johnny Sexton can squat 200 kilos yeah. if he can't play a game in the Six Nations? It does yeah. not matter. Yeah, you I know, agree. It's all about, and as much like I absolutely love strength training the bits. It's it's my favourite part of the job. Um, and I love lifting heavy myself. But is that what's right for my athletes? Not necessarily. Like in my own training, I do a lot of Olympic lifting. Do I, do I do that with my athletes? Not necessarily, you know what I mean? So you've got to be able to separate what you love and what you like versus what, what's right for, for your athletes, you know? And conditioning-wise, where you where's your belief systems lying now? I know hockey, it's, it's a unique enough sport, like, if you if I look mm. at it, but I suppose it's it's similar enough to soccer, GAA, in one sense. It is, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like, what's your sort like, of belief system? So I was had this big discussion with my assistant about how popular MAS is and stuff, and I was given the reasons why I thought it was so popular. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you go back, extensive tempo you see is coming back in trend. And I, I hate to say it's like trends, but I think it is trends, you know. like Yeah. Um, and then so, – different tabatas and all when i was in college it was all about uh ventrility thresholds and then it was tabatas about when i was being being an intern uh, 50 years ago now uh what's your belief systems on conditioning right now uh darren so i like to get one of the things again i learned a lot about um about how to condition athletes while i was while i was away in australia um obviously afl players are at it really really good standard of conditioning and there's there's not a whole lot left to chance there you've got to you've got to get the players up to standard but at the same time you can't afford to break them because they're worth hundreds of thousands in some cases millions of dollars you know what I mean yeah. um, so I'd be heavily influenced off what they did there so they they got a really good balance between their on legs load and their off legs load so a lot of the times uh, the on feet conditioning consisted of like uh, fat leg running or kind of two three minute uh, aerobic runs followed by tempo sessions yeah. uh, CR4s twos ones fifties whatever um, and then they top it up in off leg sessions so so I'll compliment that um, uh, getting guys on the bike getting guys on the rower getting guys even doing um, boxing just to 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 get heart rate and energy system development yeah. and also um, some 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 cross trainer stuff so whatever was available but it wasn't necessarily like the your choice of equipment wasn't necessarily the most fundamental it was the demands you're placing on the energy system and it was a great way to to train that uh, and get a massive amount of work done but mm-hmm. reduce the load on the legs so you're still getting the work done but the legs are only doing half the work if you know what I mean as yes. in the, the load on the joints. Um, yeah. That was really, really clever. That's something I still do quite a lot, and particularly with amateur athletes because different clubs have different games, uh, different intensities of games, different intensities of training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I can always give the girls a certain amount of off-legs off training, and it won't be an issue. Um, but the on-legs conditional work that we do will always take a little bit more consideration. Uh, but generally speaking, what I'll do will be uh, some fat leg running and some tempo running, mm-hmm. and then the the, the more um, the interval based stuff off legs, and then a lot of their a lot of their higher intensity stuff actually comes through the hockey training itself and the the games. So we have um, uh, a girl that helps us out with our GPS analysis, uh, Ad McGuinness uh, from Tala IT. Okay. Um, so she'll do our GPS stuff and feedback on that. Uh, we don't we don't have a full time, but we generally we'll monitor training, see where they're at, see what they're hitting, yeah, uh, and then kind of fill in the gaps from there. So say on a Sunday, um, Sunday session, the lot ball played on Saturday, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll kind of plug the gaps down on the Sunday. She needs more, she needs nothing, she needs to go and do mobility, um, yeah. whatever it needs be. Would I be right in saying off feet when they're not? Sorry, I beg your pardon. On feet conditioning when the matches aren't ticking fast, off feet conditioning would have more of a place mid season. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's hard to go wrong with that approach, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it feels, it's funny because um, sometimes athletes feel like they need to be working all the time. Or if you do a big running yeah. block, say, and then you stop it, mm-hmm. they don't appreciate the fact that they're playing twice the amount of games now. They just think, oh my God, I'm not doing any running. Yeah. Uh, and I've had people say that to me, and I say to them, well, how do you feel during the game? Oh, I feel fantastic. Do you feel fit? Yeah, I feel really fit. Do you feel fast? Yeah, I feel great. Well, then yeah. what are you worried about? Yeah. You know, where sometimes in their head they, they want to be running the whole time. Yeah. And again, sometimes you need to, sometimes you don't actually need to give them on feet conditioning work. Yeah. But it might actually help their mentality or to know that they've got, okay, I got, you know what I mean? I got an extra 3K in the in the bank this week or whatever it is. Yeah. So it, it's playing with, with what they need versus what they think they need um, and, and getting that balance. Mm-hmm. Great, yeah, and you've more scope for error with the off feet stuff, don't you? Like you, you, you can like you could get it wrong on the off feet stuff, but you're not going to bung up joints or get patellar tendonitis or yeah. Uh, or the, the other thing I like about it is it's very uh, it's it's a lot easier to track. Now the girls are, are yeah. very good in that. A lot of them will wear like GPS watches and stuff like that. So when I give them because they're um, nationally based, I don't see them all directly a lot of the time it's down to them to do it but they'll generally send on their times send on a screenshot um or send on data from their from their watch or whatever mm-hmm. and likewise then if they're doing uh, the off leg session if they're doing it say on a walk bike or on a yeah. concert team they'll screenshot the rower for you um or a screenshot whatever the workload they've done and you can keep track of it then so it's pretty easy to keep track of it that way you know yeah um yeah Brilliant. I don't think any of them will listen to it before this Sunday, but one of the things I'm going to do just to get a quick feel for where everybody's at uh, is get them to do a, a 2K uh, time trial on a Concept 2 this weekend, and wherever you go in the country, there's a Concept 2 available, you know what I mean? So that's one of the things, uh, very easily, I can get them all remotely to do, and uh, get, get a quick feel for where each of them is at. Yeah, and there's never a queue in the Concept 2 in the commercial gym. <laughs> I, tr- I go to Westwood. Maybe after this Tar- podcast there will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I love them. I, I think they're great, you know. Uh, they're in the Airdyne world. For me, the Airdyne is still the king. Uh, but I find the Airdyne for, like, recovery work is just too hard, even if you do 10 minutes easy. Maybe yeah, my, yeah. Uh, So I just still like a combo of... Uh, uh, as if I have the budget here to talk about this, but I'd love a combo of airdynes and spin bikes just to have that simplicity. You know, cross trainers obviously brilliant, and it's just great to have those off feet conditioning options. And yeah, that's brilliant info. I, I think. Um, Sorry, dude. you just broke up me there for a second. Yeah, no, don't worry. I wasn't saying anything important. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, yeah, I just think that was some really powerful stuff there you went through conditioning wise, and um. I I hope people took notes on that because it was quite powerful and um, yeah it's a simple and it's a great way to build culture isn't it uh, I presume you have some sort of standards they have to hit you don't have to tell us what they are but some standards they have to hit and if they don't hit them they get extra work and it's simple yeah. and everyone knows where they stand yeah yeah we do we do have uh, certain thresholds where they have to hit um, certain thresholds they have to hit to be uh in the training squad and then also to be in the match day squad. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're uh, dictated by the players and fairness to them. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed is you can have players sometimes that have outrageous fitness scores. Yeah. yeah you look at the GPS from training, you look at the GPS from a match and they're not actually working that hard. Yeah. So again, just because someone does well in a yo-yo doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they're har- the hardest worker on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and again, we had, uh, I won't say what team, what sport it was, but, 
one of our fittest players in a game all of a sudden turn over counter attack and it's time to chase back yeah and I wouldn't say one of our least fittest players but definitely wasn't one of the top people yeah passed out one of the fittest people on the way chasing back purely down to determination and, and work rate you know what I mean and yeah. that's something that sometimes you can't always put in a score you can't always yeah. quantify in a test yeah um, so just because you do well in a test you, you've got to keep demanding of your athletes work rate wise like they can't just pull in up the handbrake and go oh well I got a I got a you know a 19 and the yeah. the IR whatever it is um, and then when it comes to culture I'm big on building culture through your s and um and again, in, you go. I mentioned there in the with the Charlie Francis thing. Like you have your philosophies and your beliefs, but as a young coach, sometimes you kind of you might second guess yourself. You might say, "This is what I think is right," but I'm not really sure. And and like that, like I'm a, I'm a bit of a stickler for the gym being clean and tidy and everything being put away and this that and the other. Yeah. Um. And and what I what I'd say is, you know, in football training, you wouldn't like players wouldn't walk off the pitch. And leave cones and balls and everything and bibs lying all over the pitch for the head coach to pick up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so why would they do the same? Why would they leave plates and bars and everything lying all around the gym? And if you if you let that happen in your gym, you're you're placing yourself at a lower value. You know what I mean? It needs to be kept to the same standard. Players wouldn't rock out onto the pitch ten minutes after the the, the head coach has called for the session to start. So don't let them rock into your gym ten minutes late. You know what I mean? It's got to have the same standard and the same attention to detail because if you give it less yeah. then the players will value it less yeah. and you've got to look at yourself and say am I am I demanding the same standards and if not why yeah. you know yeah. Um, yeah. a lot of the teams uh, I work with like first few sessions there's no music in the gym because I find number one it can be a distraction but number two the fundamentals aren't in place Yes, and there's, I, I've too much coaching to do to allow music and say, oh, there's no atmosphere, no energy. Yeah. Know, if you need music to give you atmosphere and energy, you got a serious problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who's your training partner? What's he doing when you're lifting? Is he standing on his phone? Yeah. Or is he chatting shit to other lads? Or yeah. is he concentrating on making you the best lifter you can? Yeah. So I really put pressure on uh, training partners to be like almost, they're almost like, for that, for that whatever, 40 seconds a minute while you're uh, spotting your, your training partner, you're their coach. Yeah. So all of a sudden now I've got 12 interns in the gym. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. And that's that's a great way to build culture. And then you get those fundamentals in place and you go, all right, let's throw on some music. But what we're going to do is we're going to stick a stick a playlist on and it's not going to be touched for an hour. It's not a case of, oh, that's a shit song. Change that song. Oh, Johnny doesn't like yeah. that song. Oh, no, put on my phone. Hang on a minute. This isn't a fucking disco. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We need to do some work. Yeah, and it's never the most dedicated player that goes over to change the iPod or whatever. Exactly, and I've yeah. no problem kicking guys out of the gym. Um, <laughs> no problem at all. Like, <laughs> if you're not putting in work, get the fuck out of there. Yeah. If you don't want to come back the next day, no problem at all. You can explain to the head coach why you're not getting your gym work done. Yeah. Because uh, you're, being, you're being an arsehole. And yeah. If you're distracting the rest of the team, you've no business being there. And then as well, all of a sudden, it kind of perks up the ears of the other players and they go... Holy shit! Like we're, we actually we're, we're here to get a job done. It's not actually because a, a, a lot of players see the gym as a bit of a laugh and a bit of a fuck around. And if you're the type of coach that accepts that, well, then that's all you're going to get out of them is a bit of a laugh and a bit of a fuck around. But if you set a serious tone, yeah, um, you're, you're going to get serious work. And there's a balance. Like you, you got to get that 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 across between. If, if they're fucking about, you're going to be hard. Yeah. But if they if they work hard, 
you're not you're not just going to be an asshole for the sake of it, you know. Yeah, well, they've, it, got, it, they've got to meet you halfway. I, I have it in, in, in uh, my soon to be released book a, a line that says, "You must coach with a smile on your face, but a stick in your hand." Yeah, 100%. And like, I mean, you've basically described my coaching philosophy there quite well. Um, so we're, <laughs> I think we work well together there. But it's, yeah, the, it's, it's so important. I mean, and I, I say this all the time. People, you stand in front of, especially GA team, but it, it could be any, or a rugby team, any, any sport where there's a huge element of inverted commas banter or piss taking or whatever, you know, which is great. But they have their bluffer radar on. And if they think you're, you're a, a, if they can take an inch, they'll take a mile. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Joe DeFranco's gym, I could be wrong, has this thing over the, the stereo. And it's a picture of a guy like throwing a, a punch and it said something like, don't touch the stereo. Uh, you're allowed to touch the stereo if, A, you were voted MVP in the last game. B, you know, all these sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, it goes, right. I, tell, I must dig that one out. But then it says, if the answer is no, then it is shut the f up and work harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's funny. Yeah. Uh, a former colleague of mine, uh, and now it's funny how every time I say a former colleague, I say former colleague and now good friend. Um, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's true. Uh, Trent Yee, uh, down in Australia, just give him a little shout. He's uh, he's got the same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he, he copied. Uh, he took Joe DeFranco's one and laminated it and stuck it up and uh, yeah raised a few eyebrows but as well it's funny how uh, different people have different motivation and for some people they go I want to be the MVP not because I want to be the MVP because I want to bloody control the stereo in the gym and it's, it's you'd be amazed at how what, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what motivates different people and yeah. I know uh, Brett Bartholomew talked about that from when he worked in Exos you know he'd be doing a combine prep camp yeah and he'd get to the core of why guys want to make it in the NFL. And uh, mm-hmm. for some guys, it was, you know what I mean, ah, bloody blah, they wanted to emulate their father. For other guys, it was like, yeah, and the way he said, you know, you've, you've met Brett before, but the way he said it, he said, I looked this guy right in the eye. I said, why? <laughs> why do you want to make it? And he, he looked straight at me. He says, Brett, I'm going to tell you something. I need to get that money, yo. <laughs> so he goes, so for that next week, eight weeks, his whole motivation was about money. And because I knew that, I could motivate him. And all I needed to do anytime I wanted to motivate him was I said, yo, we got to get that money, G. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's about finding little triggers. And, yeah. and every athlete has different triggers. Oh, it's amazing. And even I do a little thing called Coach Hair Award. It's, <laughs> it's, a, little, it's a little golden um, bunny, chocolate bunny. It's not the, the pun. Yeah. And uh, I give it to the best performer that week and stuff. And people like go quiet and it's like, you know. I give the same spiel every time I go, I affect your all-stars, lads, and you're, yeah, yeah. this is the real, and you know, people actually want to win it. <laughs> well, it was funny, we had, a, we had a gym session yesterday morning, and I was thinking to myself, uh, like, whatever, 15 girls, gym session, Valentine's morning, I better get them some, some love heart chocolates from Marks and Spencer's or something like that. I didn't make it to Marks and Spencer's, so I just got them a box of roses, and at the end I say oh listen girls happy Valentine's Day I got you a little present box of roses they're all standing around going it's a test it's a test nobody touched them so in the end I was packing up the gym and box of roses left there totally untouched I said this is fantastic I go I've kind of, I've kind of flattered them and now I get to go home and give my missus a box of roses so you know, I've, I've hit two birds at one stone here everybody's a winner right uh Whopper podcast, uh, we could keep going and maybe we'll get you, but, well, no, maybe, we'll definitely get you back on. Um, but that's maybe over an hour now already, but sure, so be it. Um, it was all good stuff. Darren, let's, how do, 
we find more about you? Is there Twitter and all that sort of stuff? And we put it on the show notes. Um, Twitter, uh, I'm at DazYK. I used to put out a little bit of stuff, uh, not not really very preachy or anything like that, but um, yeah. mostly these days all you'll find is retweets or the odd interaction. Uh, I'm not massive on social media, okay. um, by and large, because I spend more time doing what I say I do rather than actually saying what I wish I was doing um, and that's not to offend anybody that's to, but I'm not on my yeah. laptop I'm not on my phone much during the day I'm, I'm genuinely uh, yeah. coaching or, or, or treating someone you know yeah. uh, and then when I do get a little bit of time to catch up uh, on different things social media is normally the last one but uh, at Dazboy K on Twitter um, I'm going to set up uh, a little website uh, UE Performance Therapy Okay, um, that's going to be my own little thing um, and you'll get that on, on Facebook as well it's just kind of my own little brand I suppose yeah brilliant and uh, fantastic so uh, listen thanks very much That uh, no filler straight to the content uh, few f-bombs in there which is always good and uh <laughs> which i love and appreciate uh, Darren, uh i'll be sort of one of these podcasts where i'll kind of actually listen and have to listen to myself speaking which is always cringe but i have to re-listen some of the stuff some great info there on conditioning um to say the least some great info on your journey brilliant so we'll definitely get some good feedback on this thanks very much for being on the podcast no much appreciated david like i said um I think I said it to you off air, but while I was while I was away for a couple of years, um, the, all the podcasts you did along with the the rest of the guys, uh, fantastic to keep me up to date on the state of SNC back in Ireland, and, and yeah. learned a heap off you guys. Um, you put a lot of your own uh, time and effort into this stuff, and yeah. um, you're you're doing a lot yourself to kind of build the standard, and also just get people talking to each other which is something that I think we need to do more of uh, yeah. as coaches in Ireland you know is, is network a bit more communicate a bit more have a couple of extra phone numbers in your in your phone book that you're able to ring and go you yeah. know what I mean Dave what do you think about this uh, I, I did this and it didn't work or I did this and it worked what do you yeah. think yeah. and just interact a bit more you know it, it helps and it makes a mass, massive difference yeah absolutely and just only recently and you, you, I met Martin Kennedy for a coffee for an hour and it changed my whole coach, coaching philosophy so yeah, yeah. it nice, can happen you know? and, and that presentation that he did at Ed Slattery's event I think got, got everybody uh, walking out the room with their chest held high you know he, yeah. he was very very good yeah absolutely brilliant ok Darren listen get back to coaching there I can hear barbells <laughs> and dumbbells flying in the eye there and uh, have a good day pal cheers Dave take, take care. care talk to you soon bye bye